0: been a while since I've been up here. So as you know, I preach maybe a little bit longer than Ben. So if you had lunch plans, just kind of make sure. I'm hoping to stay within here. We got a good chance. But it's me. So um, again, excited to be up here. I'm actually going to be up here for uh, next Sunday as well. So these two are going to be interconnected. If you want like an overall theme that we're going to be talking about, it is Unity. Um, is what we're going to be looking at in different ways. And so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. And if you want my quick sermon title right now, it's Becoming Spiritual People. Is our first part of that. Becoming Spiritual People. Because unity is such an important thing, you know, you'd be surprised when you look at the news today. It is full of the complete opposite division, right? Uh, We are divided. We have wars happening right now. Attacks, politics, and more that pit people against each other. Social media is meant to bring people together. But as they bring people together, it turns into something very different. Where again, it seems like the divide is even wider. As some say, we argue Insult over the unimportant in social media. This year is fairly significant in the United States, is it not? 2024 brings what? Anyone know? It's an election year? You want to know where the United States becomes a divided state at times? It's right now. Right? And even within their own parties, we have primaries and different things happening. Heck. This color of the shirt may even divide some people. I don't like the color orange, Ethan. Well, it's my favorite color, thank you very much. But if it bothers you so much, because I see it, I will go ahead and remove this to show the blue. Oh, no, there's more division. Oh, no, wait, 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 okay. I'll cover it up. I'll cover it up. <laughs> With black than blue, if that makes it a little bit more eye. oh, yeah. OK. What? Oh. It's that time of year, isn't it? Gotta love football season and playoff time. I'm proud, obviously. We finally have something to cheer for my team. Uh, you know, I usually don't bring sports. But it divides us, does it not? And some, in some places, in some parts of the world, it's so dividing, it becomes violent in nature. And so division is within humanity. Division's been in humanity since, really, the fall of man, right? It, it divided us from God first when they ate of the thro- fruit. And it didn't take long for Adam to say, Oh, she made me do it. <laughs> oh, oh no! That was the serpent division. Immediately entered. But we're supposed to be the church, redeemed, different. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be under the lordship of Christ, unified by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. We're supposed to be a family no matter where we go in the world. We should be able to enter another church body and feel loved and welcomed. However, our history is also littered with divisions or the threat of it, dating all the way back to the apostles in the early church. It didn't take long. It really didn't take long. But division has no place And God's church globally or within a local body division halts the mission of the church i mean think about you all most of you know i'm military i'm a chaplain in the united states military and imagine all now six forces right in a war deciding to say we're not going to work together navy does one thing Air Force does their other thing. Army does their thing, right? Marine Corps decides, I know we're Department of Navy, but whatever. We're going to be us. Space Force, I don't know what they do. <laughs> Just kidding. Space Force doing their thing. Coast Guard's like, yeah, we're, we're not going to get involved with anything right now. Even in it's wartime, we're brought under the Navy. We're going to do our... Think about how disjointed I mean, we, we have joint operations for a reason. They're supposed to be joint and unified because we are supposed to be under that same mission of whatever's happening under the United States. So how do we think if we're divided, we can do the mission of the church? It also hinders the work of the spirit. Division drives out Love. Love cannot exist where division is happening. That's it just lie. can't. Division allows wolves to come amongst the sheep. And Paul had to deal with this in different churches as well. As I said, it's been there since the beginning. And all the churches he planted, right? Paul planted these churches. Everything should have worked. And one of the churches we're going to focus on is a church in a lovely place called Corinth. focusing on the first epistle to that church. Because that's when he starts addressing what happens when division comes in. So often these chapters are usually taken out singly. Like, oh, let's just work on a very popular one. Corinthians chapter 13. Ah, love. Let's talk about love. But you have to understand, Paul was actually talking about love in the context of unity in the body, not just the unity of two people getting married. It's great. Don't get me wrong. There's really important things. But that's how we know that division and love cannot exist together. Probably even worse is that a lot of these things and a lot of these truths that are put into 1 Corinthians, a lot of people just pulled out as an individual. We're actually going to deal with one today called, have you ever heard? Well, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Everyone heard that one before? Very individualistic in nature. That is not what Paul was writing. I'm not saying the Spirit does not reside and work through us as individuals. But that is not what that scripture was talking about. It was talking about the corporate. This is meant to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. because that's what Paul was addressing to the church. We will miss Paul's emphasis of what happens when we lose sight of what is important, and we rely on our own wisdom. The result is simple. We become not spiritual people, but people of the flesh. Who are only infants, right? Infants. Think about an infant. An infant is helpless and vulnerable. Are they not? I mean, out of all of creation. As the kids would say, we got the nerfed, the the, the worst, the, the, this, this whole thing. We, we are the weakest at born. We are so reliant upon it. And so we become vulnerable to the world around us. And so for us to become spiritual people, it starts with what is at our foundation. We have to deal with what can divide us so that we can become the temple where the Spirit dwells. So if you can, turn with me. Again, we're going to be overall going through this, and we're going to be, next week, we're going to skip a lot of chapters in between these two chapters that are important, but... I'm not doing a huge sermon series on 1 Corinthians. So we're going to go to chapter 3 to get us started. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'll go ahead and read the chapter. But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are all still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one went for when one says I follow Paul, and another says I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What is in is Apollos, what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as a Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God only who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds a foundations with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will, be, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built in the, of the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone worked is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cyphus or the world of world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So what led Paul to this chapter is interesting. Because before we can fully appreciate what's happening in these just powerful, packed verses, we have to understand what's happening before. The first few chapters, right? Chapter 1, Paul already starts highlighting this. Back in verse um, 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no division among you, that you will be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Those two words already came. Within Chapter Three, right again, highlighting these people who were following certain people, and yet he sits there before addressing that division to go into what is foundational to us all, what we're unified on as a church, which is the gospel, the wisdom of God, which is a folly to world's wisdom, the cross being the power of God. You need to understand the cross is folly, especially in that day and age. Today we wear it, we do it, you know, we're like, yeah, the cross. I'm crucified with Christ. I get it. Trust me, we're supposed to be, we use it, but we don't understand the weight of that when that was probably one of the most horrific, shameful ways to die, right? And that culture to be crucified was a curse, to sit there and say, the man who died on a cross is a way to salvation? That's, that's crazy. You all are foolish. How can you see a man who dies that way as even a way? Let alone, you're telling me that that one man? You have to understand in that day, in that culture, whether you're... I mean, the Jews already had a problem with it because they don't see Jesus as the Messiah. But yeah, got remember the Gentiles, the Greeks, they're like, what do, you, what do you mean he was just a sacrifice for everything? We got to sacrifice all the time to our gods. What do you mean you have a relationship with God? What do you mean God wants to even be involved in your life? That was completely foreign to them. But that's what makes it different for us. Here, leading up to even these verses in chapter 2, I'll read verses 12 through 16 real fast. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. A natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Imagine being in there in that moment, spiritual people, the Spirit gives us wisdom, the Spirit gives us truths, the Spirit does all this. Imagine this whole time reading this letter. You gotta remember in this they don't they don't have the whole book. They don't have this entire letter in front of them. This is the first time they're hearing all this at once. Some poor messenger so to speak is reading this letter in front of them for the first time and you imagine hearing those words and if it was done in today's modern you probably start hearing amen brother oh yeah Paul that is how we preach blah 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 you know all the praise and they're sitting there and then the next words and this person is sitting here reading this next line like I can't can't talk yet hang on did I just read what I read because this is what Paul says right because he's Paul was talking in the first person plural, like we, 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 but I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I have a feeling after all the amens, it would have been dead silent. Crickets, pins, whatever you want to use. Could you imagine sitting there and hearing all what it is to be a spiritual person and thinking, as Paul's writing you, he's about to exhort you in some great way on to find out? Like, yeah, no, you're not it. None of you are spiritual. That's a shot. That's a gut punch. That's a sobering moment. Instead, you're people of flesh, infants in Christ. Now, Paul said, when I first planted this church, when I first came, that's understandable. I had to feed you with spiritual milk. I had to feed you the basics that you, you, you couldn't get to the spiritual truths because you were still so young. Right? Just like when you're in school. You don't start a kid in calculus. What's the first thing you learn in math? Not even addition. How to count? (laughs) What does one look like? (laughs) Can you identify a one? Can you identify a two? A three? A four? A five? You got to at least get to ten. Let's start there. Eventually, you got to get to a hundred. Then we can get further, right? Then you got the building blocks and basics of what math is, or maybe how to read the A B C's and D's, right? I remember learning Spanish. Don't ask me. I don't remember it, except for Hola, ¿Cómo estás? Donde está el baño? Right, I got those down. All right, things that survive. All right, but how are we learning? You started with the alphabet, usually of those languages. You had to start with the basics. I mean, I remember when I first came to the faith. I was sitting there, and I was about—I was in sixth grade at the time, but I was still twelve. And the church I just started to come to faith sat there and. It was, you're allowed to be in uh, the children's church from age, I forget what, to 12. Yay. And then, of course, right when I joined the church and started going to this church with my mom and everything like that, I, they come and they had this, this meeting with all, the, with all the sixth graders. We're like, okay. And they're like, hey, we're changing the format. Middle school, sixth grade and up, at that time, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, Here, at least where I am, sandwich is like 7th and 8th grade middle school. It's a little weird to me. Uh, But most of the country goes by 6th, 7th, and 8th grade (laughs) for middle school. And they're like, so the the thing is, is that now on Sunday mornings, you're going to go into the big church, basically, right, in the main sanctuary with all the adults, and you can have youth group. I'm like, oh, that's not good. I've been in that main service on a Sunday night. I have no idea what that man's saying. Never once. I'm like, it was like penis. Uh-huh. Amen, brother. What did you say? I don't get it. I didn't understand it. I grew up in church, but I didn't really understand and grasp all the basics. There are things that I take from my youth and what I did grow up in before that, but that church, I didn't grasp the basics. I didn't understand those things. And so here I am. But then that pastor, that youth pastor said, by the way, though, but if you want to volunteer in church, children's church, you're more than welcome to. My hand shot up faster than anyone in that room. I'm like, sign me up. I gotta learn. I went in there with that attitude. I like, I don't know what I'm doing. But in children's church, I was learning the basics. That's why things like the discipleship is so important. How do we expect people to grow and become spiritual if they don't understand the basics? But there still has to be growth. If I still needed Children's Church to learn today, I probably shouldn't be talking to you <laughs> today. I probably want to be a chaplain today. There would be a lot of issues today with what I'm doing. No one would respect someone who's a crybaby, an infant, knowing that i should be something more and here's paul saying but you're still people of the flesh it's an interesting word because a lot of times flesh has that connotation of something bad right the sarks the flesh not the body this is not the evil thing it's that sinful nature those desires that are perverted in us and yet paul's like hey listen that that's part of the process as you we understand as you become a Christian, there's still this process. Some people, they come and, and they come to Christianity and all those sins and all those things that they ever dealt with. Like you hear the testimonies. I used to drink and smoke and do all this. I came to Christ and it's like all gone. Praise the Lord. I'm glad. And then there's other people who might be like, it was still a struggle to get through some of this. That's okay because you're an infant. You're meant to work through that. You're supposed to get that. You're supposed to become from those people of the flesh to the people of the spirit. That is a progress sometimes for people, and that's okay. But what was making them, as a congregation, though, people of the flesh? Because remember, we're talking about the corporate, not just the individual. What makes us fleshly? and God's eyes. And this one, and Paul said, it's because jealousy and strife are among you. Simple as that. It was division. And this division came in those two different ways, strife and jealousy. They're in the background of what is happening there. And so we have to, again, understand that because to have division is a human way, not God's way. And so that's where we get into verses four through eight first. This is kind of our first division. And I call this one, this would be the strife portion of it, the followership. Who do you follow? Important question for this church in this time with all the changes that are happening. Basically, Paul's like, there are some of you who are like, Team Paul. Oh, they're like Team Paulus! Right, I was saved under Paul. I'm better than you. I follow Paul, follow his teachings. Other like, no, 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 no. I came under Apollos. He, he was that last one. I mean, he, Paul was great and all, but Apollos, uh, he, he's my boy. He's, he's my pastor. He's my minister. He's the one I followed and I came under. He's who I knew. He helped me through the trials. He was there when we were in the hospitals, going through struggles. Paul's like, back to chapter one, Paul's like, I don't, was Paul crucified for you? No, no, Paul wasn't crucified. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul. No, nope, I don't remember doing that. He actually goes back. He's like, I am glad I only baptized two of you, actually. I think it was only two. There might have been a few others. Like, he like, he's like, you can tell, right? They didn't have computers back then. Like, he went like the papyrus. Like I only baptized two of you. And he's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I'm about to cause more division. And there's some other of you that I probably forgot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me put those parentheses around. Like, oh, yeah, there's some other of you I baptized. I'm glad I only baptized any of you so that none of you can just sit there and say, Paul baptized me. The majority of you did not even have Paul baptize you. But, like, here we are, the division in there. And instead, people are like, I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. And Paul's like, you're missing the point. Paul's like, I planted seeds. Paulus watered. But we were one in mission. And God's the one that grew you. We have nothing to do with that. Anyone here? Garden? Some of you? Or maybe you're that person that says, My plants are always thirsty. I don't know. You might be a plant person, you might be that. But I, last time I checked, um, you can put a seed in there and you can water that seed. But you got no control over that seed. That seed's DNA is set. You want an orange tree? Better plant an orange tree. You want strawberries? Better plant strawberry seeds. Right? There's nothing that's going to change that. And really, in all honesty, all you can do is your best. Plant it accordingly, hopefully the right season, and you remember to water it. And hopefully it will get the sunlight it needs. Can't even control that. Hopefully you got the right kind of soil for it. All these different things, and hopefully it will produce the harvest. But hey, guess what? Sometimes that takes pollination, and that's the bees and the butterflies and other things that need to do that. You don't even have control over that. And that's what Paul is saying. Like, we're in unity. We're in unity just doing the work, but we're united under God's mission, under the Trinity itself. So who are you really loyal to? Are you loyal to a person sent by God? Or are you actually loyal to God himself? Hallelujah. Bring it to today for us here locally throughout the history of this church. How long has this church been around? A for a while. I know for a while. <laughs> I don't even know the pl- I I forgot to look this up. It's been a long time. Late 90s, perfect, thank you, Ben. Late 90s, I know for some of us, we're like 2000 was just 10 years ago. 90s is just 20 years ago. Oh, no, 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 we're much further. (laughs) All right, we're almost in 30 years worth of of time. How many of you were here from the beginning of the churches? One, two, almost the beginning. I'll take almost the beginning. (laughs) There was one who planted this church maybe did some watering, pruning, another that came behind. There's different elders, different people. Apparently we only have a few originals. Here we are in a time of transition. Eric did what he had to do. Emilio came here and did what he had to do, but now he's out planting a new mission, Youth for Christ. He might do that for the rest of his life, but I have a feeling that could be a moving on place too. Like he could be doing that for a time, planting the seed that is needed in Cape Cod. He may water some of those seeds for a time, but the full growth of that and what it could eventually become, that may not be under his direction in time. Why? Because it's God's mission. Jason, for now, in a season, has left. Still got Charlie, Richard. As Ben said, he's an interim pastor. Doesn't matter if he's just an interim pastor now, whether he becomes a senior pastor. I have a feeling I'm just going to go with my gut instinct. He's not going to be here till the day he dies. Could, if that's what God wants. But I'm going to go off on just how history works. Rarely, rarely do we have a same person in a church long term. They all had their purpose in God's work here for this congregation because God grows this church, not any of us. God gives growth to what we do The mission of this church is not dependent on the person who speaks from this pulpit. That's God's. That's God's. The last time I checked, when those people leave or change their position, did the Spirit of God leave with them? Not with how worship felt this morning. Spirit was very present to me. Hopefully, it was to you. Last time I checked, Hyannis is still here. There's still people out there broken. There's still lost people out there. When did the mission change because a person left? Where did the Spirit of God change because a person left? We're human. We have emotional attachments. I get it. There's things we have to work through. I get it. But we have to remember why we are here. God put you here. If God used Eric or Emilio or Jason or someone else who used to attend this church that got you into this building and you have come to become saved and you do all these different things and you have been a part of this for a few weeks, a few months, a few years, I don't, the entire history of this church, you were placed here not by them, but by God to do this church mission. And when you have that as your focus, it's a whole lot easier to be unified than worrying about who stands here. Because the Spirit of God is meant to dwell here. We are supposed to only follow one, and that is God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does change happen? Yep. Change is good. We hate change, but change is good. Things change more often than we realize. Anyone hoping that this gets a little bit warmer outside, or do you want this weather year-round? I love the cold, but if it was 12 months of the year, I might as well have been stationed in Antarctica because that's about where I should be Then if that's where I don't want the change, right? We get warm weather up in, I'm from the east, the, the, the west side, all right, Lake Michigan side of it. Good old Detroit. They're a good city. Listen, change happens, but with change, great things happen. If we resist change, we cannot grow. A seed that's never planted, or a seed that's never sprouting is dead. A plant that doesn't produce fruit is useless. We have to change. That's part of growth. And so there's our first one, right? Followership, who do you actually follow? change it, stop the division of any human being, anything, any world system, anything that's in place that is human in nature needs to stop, and we have to look to him to be unified. That's part one. Part two, what else is caused division is what Paul gets to in the next verses. We're only going to go to 17 today. 18 is a good summary, and there's some great stuff in there, but that's going to distract us a little. Verses kind of really starts in 10, but we're going to just pick it up at 9 for there. I call that the worldly wisdom. And why I put this next to jealousy is because I have a feeling when there are people who are teaching and they're seeing people follow them and their teachings and they're like, oh, that was a good sermon. Oh, that was a good teaching. Or oh, that. They just try to up it up. And, and there's jealousy in what people are teaching. And so they try to get the new age cut thing. What's, what's popular? What's going to grab people's attention and bring them here? We need to be growing. I want people to like me. I want to tickle the ears, so to speak. Give them something that's sweeter, easier to digest. That can be jealousy. And before we get into that, do we see Paul changing and shifting that in verse nine? For we are all fellow workers and you're God's fields. That's the first thing, right? We are all part of God's harvest. But then he just says, not only are you God's fields, but you're God's building. And there is only one building that has been God's in the history of the Bible. And that was the temple. He's already alluding to what we are. We are the temple of God. And so here he goes. He starts off with, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder. Anyone else got something that it says differently in there? Other translations? Just curious. You wise, you wise master builder. That's actually closer to what the Greek word is. Notice the play on words. You wise master builder. This is why those previous chapters are so important. What was wisdom to God? It's not rhetorical. Anyone remember what I said? The starts with a G. Gospel. The cross. The whole message. What was foolish to man is wise to God. So here Paul's like, hey, listen, I was that wise master builder, the skilled wise master builder. I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. And each one take care of how he builds upon it. For one, for no one can lay a foundation other than, which that, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's, there's where the buck stops. For every church, any local congregation, and the church as a whole, that is our foundation. The gospel of Christ. Jesus Christ who came in the form of a man who was 100% man, fully man, fully human, or sorry, fully man, fully God, who died for our sins, being the acceptable sacrifice to God so that we could bridge the gap to have a relationship with him and that he not only did he die for those sins but conquered death by raising from the dead so that we have an eternal hope of not just now but the anticipation of what is to come to be his people in his presence for all eternity that cannot change but yet today we have churches changing that because what we build off that matters What we build matters. The materials specifically mentioned, they could have some significance or Paul just pulled them out of the air kind of type thing. Like, I know these ones work, but we're not going to... We could probably focus and try to do some in-depth thing, and I'm sure there's commentaries that will take you all over the place if you want to research those. Have fun. I'm not going to deal with that. You're welcome. We'll be here for a while. The materials mentioned... And what's important for them is about how they handle the fire or judgment day. There are ones that will endure, and there's going to be ones that turn to ash. So, what's Paul getting at here? What he's getting at is are we building with God's wisdoms and the depths that are only revealed to us through the Spirit? Sometimes like like are we are we searching for those wisdoms? are we being the spiritual people? are we building off those things? Or are we dealing with the wisdoms of this world and we might be trying to teach and we might have Jesus there, but he's like it might not affect your salvation it might not affect the 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 purpose of that church and the base of that church, but it's gonna burn all away. You're gonna find out real fast how untrue some of those things you're teaching, those wisdoms you're teaching. And we have to understand the wisdom of the world of that day, very different than what we find, right? Because there are wisdoms and truths that are important to us to understand, right? In psychology and medicine and biology, et cetera. There are some things we should understand, okay? Like, you gotta understand that didn't exist in the first century of Rome. <laughs> We gotta kinda of wait till like Renaissance era, I'm pretty sure, right? That the whole that, that started a lot more things. That was a lot later. There wasn't a lot of that kind of understanding. But there were a lot of philosophies and religions. These were the things that worried Paul the most. Stoicism was a big one. Wisdom, justice, courage, and moderation are their core values. You might be like, well, that sounds good. I mean, those, those sound Christian, does it not? I mean, let's be honest. In, in the Bible, is wisdom important? Yeah. We talk about wisdom. Justice? Yeah, justice is important. Courage? Yeah. Moderation? All great Christian principles, aren't they not? But if you want to live one, right? And, I, and, and, and don't get me wrong, there are some great reminders from those minds of the Stoics because sometimes I'll see them go across my Facebook feed. I'm like, huh. But I'll reflect onto God, not on what they deal with. I go to the God's values. I'll use those times, those memories. are like, oh, yeah, I should probably remember that. That's a good thing. But they'll put things like this. This comes from a guy known as the Daily Stoic, someone who follows those things. He's kind of the modern-day Stoic. He's very popular out there, right? And one of the Stoic's, if you want... A smooth flow of life, live according to nature. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Does that line up? Again, there's truths within their, their teachings. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're kind of pantheists, right? They, they believe that God is in everything, not some God external like we do. We believe God can work through nature, God created nature, but God is not nature itself. God can use nature to teach us. God, there are great things. I mean, even even the promise of God to Abraham, hey, look at the stars. But all creation and all this, this stuff that God made is had been meant for one purpose, and that is to point us to God. But that's not how they would teach you. Notice that there's similarities but there's differences. Happiness isn't found in things, but in virtue alone. It's all about what we value and the choices we make. Are we even supposed to chase happiness? I'm not saying happiness is an emotion. Contentment. Joy. Some people like joy. Joy and happiness are different. Here's another one. Let's see here got to scroll down. Uh, We don't control external events. We only control our thoughts, opinions, decisions, and duties. I think we can all agree with that, right? We are, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. Like, we can't just keep reacting to the world around us. Those are some good human wisdoms. Even psychology is like, like, that is a really important concept. But if you dig down deeper, there might be things that are contrary to the Word of God. You can see why these things can be very tempting to a church, to leaders. I want to relate. Let me pull in some of the modern day, at that time, thoughts and teach them. They'll also teach, though, that we have each been given all the inner resources we need to thrive. That is very contrary to the gospel itself. We must eliminate toxic emotions. Do you know what some of their toxic emotions are? Now, one, you might be like, fear. Fear's a toxic emotion. Not if you need to fear God. That's the beginning of all wisdom for us. Is it not? I mean, you would not want to be a Christian living a Christian life if you did not fear God. This is not an easy faith. Okay, so maybe that's not as toxic. Though there's other fears we got to be careful with, right? Anger. Is anger toxic? Nope. God actually says, be angry and do not sin. Right. There can be, but anger itself is nothing. Emotions themselves, just to let you know in modern day, there is no bad or good. They're just signals to a need of what's going on around us. Anger usually is someone violated a boundary or did not meet my need. important to know here's a crazy one ready for this one hope hope is considered toxic to them these three things remain faith hope and love is love yes kind of an important strategy we could keep going on, but for time, I'll stop there. Now imagine that being taught in these churches, in this church at this point. Because that's what they were living in, the Roman times. This is, these were the philosophies that were blooming at that time with Stoicism. Or maybe it was just the polytheistic background that most of them lived through. Right? They, they are very contractual in relationships. If I, gi- I give, that you might give back basically. Their purpose of giving was contractual. Like if I give you something, it gives you the opportunity when I'm in need to give back. That's not supposed to be our tilt. We're just supposed to give. Knowing that we give because the treasures in heaven rewind, but we just do this thing. We give because you're in need and you're God's creation and you're my brother and sister in Christ and we're just supposed to care for you. If you never give back to me, Awesome. That's not the point. The point is, love is not contractual. Or, we give sacrifices for divine blessings. That's still in our churches today. If you want the blessings of God, give a thousand dollars today. God will give it back to you a hundredfold. Woo! Praise God, preacher. That's polytheism. That was what they believed in the Roman times too. Hey, we're going to sacrifice in hopes that these gods might actually give us some blessing in return. Nope. Not the point. Or just your behaviors don't matter. If you would keep reading between chapter 3 and then to chapter 12... You're going to see a lot of behaviors that just didn't matter why. Because they lived in a world where the gods were not in relationship with them. They kind of just lived in these parallel things. The gods affected them. But really, their actions doesn't matter. Kind of just live your life. Give your sacrifices and hope for the blessings of, the, of their divines. And, but it really doesn't matter. There is no real moral. You just live your life. Things that are even kind of happening today. So what are some of those modern things? This comes as an interesting thing. Christianity Today article. There was surveys given out. This was published in September of 2022. So it's fairly recent. they have been doing these studies for for some time. I think the the graphs kind of went back to 2016. So we've had some years of this and they kind of vary. But I just researched what are Christian heresies today? Here are the five. Oh, by the way, this is for evangelicals. 56% of evangelicals today do not believe that Jesus is the only way. 56%. Don't worry, it gets worse. 73% 73% believe Jesus is basically some super created being the best version of humanity created being y'all the church fought that in the fourth century that was a war in the church depending on who the pope was depend on which way they went and they would remove priests and and, and cardinals and everything in, in Whoever aligned, and eventually the Nicene, this is why the Nicene Creed, uh, church history, they came together and said, we need to actually hammer out what is theology. And that Jesus is divine, not just some superhuman being. He is a part of the Trinity, the Godhead. But 73% of evangelicals believe that. 43% 43% believe Jesus is not God. They're the How can they call themselves The Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. And I can't remember, I didn't write those percentages down. I can look them up again, but it doesn't really matter. Another, but they're in the 60s and 70s if I remember them off. I think these are in the 60s. And here's the last one. Humans don't have a sinful nature. (laughs) Good people make mistakes, but we don't have a sinful nature. I'm not talking about Greeks. I'm not talking about the world. I am talking about people who would identify in an evangelical church believing this. But those same surveys also said that 94% of people would still say that sex outside of marriage is wrong and sin. The 91% say abortion is a sin. Now, you might sit there and agree. But do you see the misbalance? When 91 to 94% of those same people who are saying these things are sinful, but sit there at the very core of our theology and our faith to say Jesus is not God? The Holy Spirit's just a force? I mean, they just dismantled the entire Trinity. Humans don't have a sinful nature, you just gotta be good? Basically, 56% say all religions can lead to salvation when they say Jesus is not the only way. We have a lot of legalism. Legalistic Christians, not relational Christians. That is a problem. It tells us more that we are probably politically driven, human led. We do not have discipleship in our churches. And we got a lot of infants who have been gobbled up by the wolves because people standing in positions like me decide to keep throwing wood and hay and straw. And eventually the dangers of that is you will shift your foundation. The church is always founded on the principle of Jesus Christ and the gospel. It doesn't mean a church body can't move itself off that. It's something that's humbling. It's something that we have to be able to think about. Because we've had it. There are enough young people who leave our churches for two reasons. And they usually are because of the fakeness. Especially the the big, seeker-friendly, all these different things going out there in the evangelical world. They're leaving because, one, the faith is not real to them. Or they start piecing together different pieces of faith to make them. Or two, because they actually want to grow in the faith and they've sat there long enough and like, this is just Baby Christianity. I need more. And so they actually leave the evangelical churches. They're leaving those, you know, and I'm not saying the other ones aren't. Like this is not the disunity, but they're leaving those churches because they are looking for deeper and they are looking to what normally we would think of the dry churches or those, but they're going to them because they're like, huh. Well, the Episcopals and the 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 Anglicans. The Presbyterians, they have rich tradition and discipleship, and there is a richness because there's something more to learn. There's a spiritual reality in there. I come from a Pentecostal denomination. I get it. Except that I also find that if you're going to be a spiritual people, you better have the spirit And you better know who the Holy Spirit is. And you better have that Spirit flowing in you. And yes, I do believe. Like, listen, I'm not sitting there judging. I just know the experience that I've had. And I cannot let go of that Pentecostal faith and the understanding of what the Spirit can do in today. I do not sit there and say the miracles stop with the apostles. I I can't. I've seen too much. You're never going to convince me one way or the other. I've seen that. But to think just those things... Without knowing and understanding and having the basics and understanding who we are and discipled this is a dangerous thing. They both need to happen. And so, as we conclude here, let me ask this question What are we building here? How do we become or stay spiritual? The first is we have to understand the most important thing. We are building the temple of God, of the Spirit, here. Its foundations is the Jesus Christ and the gospel. That is what it's first built upon. But as we're building it, this is a place where God's Spirit dwells, and it needs to be holy. We can't divide this. Imagine this building with all its individual pieces On this property you want to come to it especially today it's no good same thing if we're the people of god if we're divided we're no different than just taking this building and exploding it out to all of its pieces we have to be unified unified under who the holy spirit god the father god the son and we have to be careful not to allow that division to destroy us, whether it's the person we follow or we leave that foundation or we start allowing worldly wisdoms to infiltrate our midst. To become spiritual, we must learn and able. We must be able to learn from the Spirit and the truths that the Spirit reveals. We must have solid foundations, And sure, it could come from different directions. We could learn from maybe those churches we normally don't associate with, because they have foundations that we might need to learn from. We might actually get reminded of things from the world, and that might seem crazy. But with the presence of the Holy Spirit, I've taken a lot of things in my life, and I'm like, the world taught me something, and the Holy Spirit said, "Hey, let me transform that, and let you know that this is where it comes biblically." It's not a threat just got to know what's right and I also encourage us to always reflect maybe even have the prayer as I'll pray today say Lord I don't want to wait till judgment day burn away what does not need to be here now the Holy Spirit is an all-consuming fire we may have things personally, and there may be things in this fellowship. But if we're going to move forward, if we're going to meet the mission, if we get ready for that, first thing is we got to be unified in that. Next week, we'll talk about how we fit in as the body of Christ. That's going to be First Corinthians 12. But it starts first with having that foundation. It first starts with what we are building around us, and we have to make sure we're always building with those things that will survive the fire. So let us pray. Lord, we come before you. Help us to be always unified under your mind. One mind, one judgment, as Paul stated. May we always remember that you are the head of the church. May we always remember That one day we will stand before you. And what we do matters. You are a holy God. And make this place your holy temple. May our foundations always remain in Christ. May we always remember to follow you in your mission that we are here in this place for a purpose. And may you burn away those things that we don't need to build with. Take them out of our midst and let those truths, your truths, your wisdom, your spiritual truths be here. And Holy Spirit, we invite you that every time we gather, that it is not just the basics, it's not just what we have to feed and milk, but that we can get to those deep spiritual truths that you have for us in this day. Because we understand, though, the Bible can guide us and and direct us and show us the truths that we still have to adapt them to today. And we need you. May we not be reliant on human wisdoms, May we always be reliant on you. May your spirit always reign in every service, in every gathering that we have, because where two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. And so may we always remember that as we gather in your name, Holy Spirit, that we yield control to you. Whatever you will, whatever you will in heaven, will it on this earth. Whatever you will for our church in heaven, may you will it here on earth for us. And may we grow together. May we meet the mission that you have for us in these coming days, months, years, for as long as we are a part of this body. And for those who have departed, we thank you for them. We thank you for what they did and what part of the mission they had to play And may wherever they grow, may they be people who plant seeds, who water, who have that same mission you have called them to do. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.